It's time for Children's Church. Uh, you children head out to the back of the sanctuary. Miss Rose is back there. Is going to take you downstairs. And we're going to open God's Word here in the sanctuary. Let's pray together as they're going. Our Father, we thank you that we can give all of our service and all of our family. And Lord, we can give our future and we can give our worship to you. And you make that possible by allowing us to be your children, adopting us into your family through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we come to you now opening your word because we want to hear from you. We thank you for how you've already spoken to us in this service. And we believe the Bible is God's perfect, infallible word. And so we know you can take it now and pierce to the very core of our being with it. And you can apply it in a way that will bring us to where we need to be in your presence. So, Lord, help us to be able to put aside for these few minutes whatever might distract us and be truly open to what your spirit would say to us. Bless our children and children's church and use this time to share your love with them. And we trust you now to touch our lives and change us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Philippians 1, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 12 through 18 this morning, and then we'll be observing the Lord's Supper at the end of our service. We have begun going through Philippians verse by verse in uh, the morning services, and we come to this passage, and I think that what Paul is really getting across to us here is that there's a cause that is bigger than ourselves. And sometimes we, we, we would say that, but then when we get into the weeds and the details of life and the experiences of life, it's easy for us to forget that. It's easy for us to focus on our feelings and what's happened to us, the way we've been treated or not been treated, and it's easy for that then to become dominant rather than this larger cause, this larger purpose for which we are here, and for which the church is on this earth. What is the purpose of your life? Sadly, there are people that go through their entire life and they never answer that question. Or they answer it in the totally the wrong way. Some people have just decided there is no purpose to life, and that's really what's being pushed and taught in our educational system from the earliest age all the way through university now that everything is random, there is no real organization or reason for the existence of this planet or anybody who's here. We're just randomly here. So if you teach people that, then what do you think they're going to think about their life? That there's no real meaning to it. There's no real purpose beyond self. But yet that is a totally non-biblical worldview because the Bible tells us there is a reason that we are here and that reason is God himself and our relationship to him. And so for the Christian, we should never go through life thinking that we're just existing on this planet. We are here for a cause bigger than ourselves. It doesn't mean that our family and our lives and the things that we are involved in, those things are all important to a degree, but they aren't the be-all and end-all of life. 
There's something bigger. There's something greater. And that something is a someone. And that's God. The Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that born out here with Paul. Paul who had a wonderful life in terms of, of ease and influence and money and power. He had all of that. He was a Roman citizen, but he was also a Jew. And he was a religious leader of Israel. And he could have spent all of his days in power and position and influence and ease. But he heard the call of Jesus. And he walked away from all of that because he came to see there's something bigger than self. And we see that reflected here in this passage in Philippians 1. Follow with me as I read beginning at verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, And some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add afflictions to my chains. But the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this... I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Paul tells us in verse 12 that Christ is preached through the hardships and the suffering of life. Now, he doesn't go into great detail right here. In fact, he just kind of passes over it. But he gives us a little phrase that helps us to think back to Paul's life. Look at verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me, what has happened to me? And then he goes on. He doesn't camp there and, and give a long litany of what has happened to him. But I think it's important to remember what happened to Paul. Because if you go back to the book of Acts and read through Acts starting at about chapter 20 and on to the end of the book, you see the journey that Paul took to eventually get to Rome where he was imprisoned. And he was writing this letter from Rome when he was in prison. And he was able to say that the things that have happened to me have actually turned out to be for the furtherance of the gospel. And so Paul is saying that all of the hardships and difficulties that he experienced have actually been used by God for the purpose of sharing Christ. Christ is preached. And this becomes the theme of Paul's life. He wanted Christ to be preached. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel meaning good news. More than anything, he wanted that message to get out to the people of the world. And that's what he was spending his life doing. A journey to Rome, which should have taken weeks, ended up taking months. If you go back and look at the the way it unfolded in uh, the scripture. He nearly drowned. We know he spent much time in prison. A long journey 
that ended in prison. In fact, Paul said in Acts 20, 22, it says, when the apostle had set foot in Jerusalem, he was forewarned by the Holy Spirit that bonds and imprisonments awaited him. So God didn't withhold this from Paul. He told him that when he left on this journey, that it was going to end up in prison. And that's exactly what happened. Paul went out of his way to assure uh, Jewish people that he only wanted to preach the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ. And yet there were those who hated him for doing it. If you look in Acts 21, 28 and following, he was falsely accused by people. And that led to him nearly being lynched, being hung. But God preserved his life. He escaped a flogging. He was going to be examined or flogged in order to find out why people were so angry at him. And Paul then mentioned to those about to beat him that he was a Roman citizen. Well, that changed everything because they couldn't do that to a Roman citizen without really just cause. And so every step of the way, he kept moving closer to getting to Rome. And eventually he arrived there. His whole case was treated shamefully at one step after another. But he kept on. And we need to remember that as we serve Jesus Christ, that for those people that we hold up as having been great uh, standard bearers of the faith, you can look at every one of those people and you'll find that they had hardship in their life. And Rather than it meaning that they had done something wrong, it actually meant they were doing something that was right. They were doing what God wanted them to do. And yet as Christians, we're so, we're so uh, easily led down the pathway of thinking that if we have hardship, well, God doesn't love you. God has abandoned you. When the opposite is usually the case. Because very, many, uh, very much of the time the, uh, when we have difficulty and the hardest troubles in life, it's because we're exactly where God wants us to be. So don't let that le- uh, weaken your faith or shake you. Because know that hardship and difficulty often become the great opportunities, not only for you to grow in your faith, but to share Jesus Christ with people. Think about it. When people are going through very difficult times, attention is focused on them, usually, within their own family, their circle of friends, sometimes in a a whole community, uh, because people are drawn, they're captivated by what happens in people's lives. And so when you're going through difficulty in your life, you have a platform to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that you will not have when everything is going smoothly. But often, here's what we think. Well, I'm going through this difficult physical time, or I'm going through this hard time at work, and we often think, well, I'm so busy with this, all of my energy is being consumed by this, I just don't have the energy, I don't have the time to be a witness for Jesus. The truth is that is the time to be a witness for Jesus, not to shrink back, not 
to, to fall by the wayside, not to be consumed with selfishness and anger, but rather to say, okay, God, I'm here. How can you use me in this place, in this circumstance? How can you use my life to share Jesus Christ? Well, the scripture says that Paul understood that he was in the place that God wanted him to be. And Paul calls all of this here just the things that happened to me. And so here he was in prison writing to the Philippians. And he wanted them to know that all of these things that happened to him, and they knew what those things were. They were keeping up with Paul. They were concerned about Paul. And now Paul is saying, They've turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Folks, that tells us that ought to be our main concern. That in our lives, whatever we go through, that it turn out for the furtherance of the gospel. And in your life, God can shine brightly when it's the darkest all around you. And people can see the light of Christ in your life. The word he uses here for turned out literally is, means have, have fallen out, rather, unto the furtherance or the advancement. It's a Greek word. It was a military term used of engineers who would prepare a road for the advancing army by removing obstructions such as rocks and trees. And so he was saying that in God's economy, in his timeline, these hardships were like God's way of opening a way, paving the way for the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to be shared. But Christ is also preached when we are faithful as believers are emboldened. What happened with Paul is he, he could see that as he stood strong in those hard circumstances, other Christians were strengthened because they were looking at Paul and they were saying, hey, if he can go through that and stand strong for Jesus Christ, why can't I? Why can't I? And so people were being strengthened because he stood strong. That happens today too. When you stand strong for Jesus Christ, no matter your circumstances, especially in the hard moments of life, other people can see that. And they're strengthened. They're strengthened by what they see. I'm thinking back to some of the, the terribly sad moments we've had as a church when people that we love so much have passed away. And we've had services right here in this sanctuary. And some of the most important times have been when the family members, the the, the wife left behind or the husband left behind has stood up and given a testimony to the faithfulness and power of Jesus Christ in that moment. What do you think that does when people hear that? It strengthens, it strengthens us all because it says that even in the worst moment of life, Jesus is there and he helps and he uses it to share his love and his power. That's what Paul is talking about. He says there in verse 13, So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest 
that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so when they saw what Paul was doing, in spite of the suffering he endured, they were strengthened. And the gospel got stronger. It kept going out in a stronger fashion. Unbelievers, see, saw the reality of his relationship to Christ as well, not just the believers. It says the whole palace guard, the praetorian guard. Scholars uh, have written that originally this was 10,000 hand-picked soldiers concentrated there in Rome. They had double pay, they had special privileges, and Paul had contact with one after another of these guards. The guards assigned to prisoners awaiting a hearing before Caesar were literally chained to their prisoner. So Paul would have been chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, four shifts a day for two years. One person has calculated that Paul had approximately 3,000 opportunities for witness. I don't know how they can exactly figure that out, but uh, maybe more than that. But to witness to Rome's soldiers during his imprisonment. Think about that. So one man taken to Rome. How do you get the gospel to a totally lost and pagan city? One man witnessing to some of the most influential people in the city for two years, chained to those people, and Paul sharing the gospel with them over and over and over again. And when Paul's life ended, when he was beheaded, as we know from church tradition, when he was beheaded for his faith, the gospel didn't end in Rome because he left behind the witness that he had given to all of those people. And God was going to use that. And we know by the time of Constantine, actually, that the Roman Empire became a majority Christian empire. Amazing how the gospel spread. But it was because people like Paul understood that those circumstances became their platform to share the gospel with people. Paul came to see hardship as an open door. Warren Wearsby said it this way, The secret is this, when you are single-minded, you look on your circumstances as God-given opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel. And you rejoice at what God is going to do instead of complaining about what God did not do. So many times in hard circumstances, instead of rejoicing at what God is going to do, we are so focused on what God didn't do for us. He didn't spare the person that I was praying for. He didn't help me to get that job. He didn't make a, an easy way that I thought he was going to make. Well, we can stay focused there. We can spend our entire life feeling sorry for ourselves in those places. Or we can look up and say, God, what are you going to do with this? How can you use me in this circumstance? 
and start thanking God for what he is going to do. That's what Paul did. He could have had a pity party, but he, he refused to do that. Instead, he was letting God use his life where he was, no matter how hard or no matter how difficult it was. And then Paul talked about the people who were working against him. So if you have ever experienced in, in uh, the Christian life a sense uh, that people have let you down, people have attacked you, people haven't done what was right by you, you're in good company. Go back to Jesus. Look how he was treated. And then look at Paul. Here he is in prison, suffering for the Lord and sharing the gospel. And out there, people who weren't in prison, there were people who were using the opportunity to kick him while he was down. We don't know exactly what they were all saying about him, but it was enough that Paul understood that there were those who were using the preaching of the gospel. At the same time they were preaching the gospel, they were also using it to run him down, to talk behind his back. They knew he was in prison. He couldn't defend himself. So wherever they were, I mean, they, they were just running their mouth all they wanted to because what was Paul going to do about it? But Paul refused to be focused on that. Instead, look what he said. And this is, this is an amazing, uh, amazing thing that Paul had come to. In, into verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and will rejoice. Because no matter what some of these folks were saying and the, the, the motive of their heart for why they were doing it, Paul said they're still talking about Jesus. The name of Jesus is being proclaimed. And in that, he could rejoice. You see, God doesn't have to have a perfect messenger to convey a perfect gospel. I can stand here, I could stand here and be proclaiming the gospel and not have the right motivation in my heart. But the truth of Jesus Christ goes forth and God can take the word and apply it to a person's life and change their life anyway. Now, Paul's not saying it isn't better to have the right motivation and to preach the gospel not in pretense or not using it as a hammer to hurt somebody else, but rather to, to purely preach the gospel. Obviously, that, that's better. That's what we need to be doing. But Paul is saying the gospel is so powerful that even when a crooked stick preaches the gospel, God can hit a straight lick with it. God can take even a person who doesn't have pure motivation. And if they're, if they're sharing the true gospel of Jesus Christ, God can use it to change people's lives. And so we need to remember that when we encounter someone that we're, you know, we think, well, I'm not sure about that person. I'm not sure what their motivations are. But if they're sharing the, the truth of Jesus, no matter what's deep in their heart, God can still use that proclamation of the gospel. And so here again, Paul is saying, Lord, I don't know what to do about this circumstance. You know what the truth is? There's very little you can do about somebody that wants to 
to harm you or say bad things about you. You can't go through life focused on what other people are thinking about you and saying about you. Because if you do, you'll drive yourself crazy. You just have to say, Lord, here is my life. You use my life. And you let the gospel be proclaimed through me. And pray that it will be proclaimed through others too. And just trust the Lord. That's what we have to do. Because there's always going to be the kinds of things that Paul had to deal with. We're going to have to deal with it. You know why? Because we're all sinners. Nobody is, is perfect. And so as a result, we have to deal with the fallout of that. So stay focused on the gospel. Christ is preached. Whether in pretense or whether in truth, Christ is preached. And in this, I rejoice. A.T. Robertson said Paul could see through the pretense of what these adversaries were doing from bad motives and chose to focus on the reality that people were getting some knowledge about Christ. And as A.T. Robertson said, some Christ is better than no Christ. So the gospel was being preached. Christ was being proclaimed. John MacArthur said Paul lived to see the gospel proclaimed. He didn't care who received the credit. That's to be the attitude of every pastor, every teacher, every deacon and leader. Christ is preached. And it doesn't matter who gets the credit, who gets the accolades, who gets praised. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is Jesus is proclaimed. And so join with Paul. Rejoice in the proclamation of the gospel, period. And keep focused on what he has you here to do. That your life is a platform, whatever circumstance you're in, for you to live and share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, with every fiber of your being. To God be the glory. Never forget, your life is about a cause bigger than yourself. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for the example of Paul and for how he let his life be used by your power to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Lord, help us to be focused on what you have put us here to do. And that is to live for you and to share, uh, share the good news of Jesus with, with people, just like Paul did. So, Lord, everywhere we go, every day that we live, may we look at those opportunities you've given us to be a witness for you. We pray, Lord, you'll deliver us from worrying about what other people might say or do and instead just trust those people to you even as we trust ourselves into your hands. May you be glorified in all things. Lord, we pray in this time of invitation now if there's someone here who needs to make a decision for you. They've heard the good news of Jesus, but maybe they've never responded They've never given their life to him. Lord, may this be the moment that they're willing to say, Jesus, I believe you died for me and you rose from the dead and you're alive today. And I now ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. I give my life to you. And Lord, we know you'll hear a prayer of faith like that. That is sincere. 
and you will do what you promised, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we trust you in that. If there are public decisions now that need to be made in this moment, we pray you'll give people the courage to step out and come and declare their faith in you or to follow you uh, for church membership if you're leading them to this church. Whatever you put on our hearts, Lord, we pray that your will would be done and we will give you the glory and the honor. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and we're going to sing our invitation hymn. And I'll be standing up front to receive you, to pray with you. Some of our children from Children's Church are going to join us because we'll have the Lord's Supper after this invitation. But uh, you respond as God leads you to respond. And I'll be glad to help as we sing together.